This podcast is part of the Podcast Arcade Network. This is the Goat Kicker Podcast, and I am your host, Carl D. Smith. Welcome back, Goat Kicker episode 14. You know, one of the things that I often wonder uh, about is what life would have been like for me regarding my different fandoms, my different hobbies, had the digital revolution happened a little sooner. Um, so much money was wasted on, you know, books and um, and music and video over my years that I wonder if I would have done things any differently had they been available uh, digitally, either streaming or digital ownership. And it's kind of come in phases, you know, the digital stuff became available initially um, and it was a it was a pay and purchase and then you quote unquote owned it digitally. Then it sort of went through this phase where you could purchase it uh, or rent it but it was always hosted on some service or other, and if that service went belly up, or if they lost certain licensing rights, it was possible that you too um, would uh, would lose your rights to that item. And uh, you know, furthermore, it, it it progressed into what we have today, where. Everything is streaming or available, not everything, but you know, most things are available legitimately through some some major player streaming sites. Would I have bothered to try to build a collection of kung fu or horror movies on DVD if I knew that I could watch most of them uh, at will online? Same with anime. Would I have a pretty impressive and frankly overwhelming digital music collection? I sort of do right now in iTunes, and that's even like a second go-round. If I could have all the money back that I spent on uh, iTunes since its inception, it would be it would be astounding. I, I bet the check that Apple would write to me. But that service is going away, and so while I technically own those um, those tracks, that service is gone. And so unless I download those and store those and uh, Maintain those in a way uh, to fit whatever their next products are. Um, I will no longer have access to those, and how I listen to music has changed uh, considerably as well. I just don't, uh, I don't use iTunes like I did at one time, and so to have their proprietary files and audio formats just doesn't make any sense. Um, there was a time when my most valuable possession was an iPod. An electronic device that really only carried music. And then as they progressed, they had a real teeny little video screen that you could watch movies on. Or videos. And I purchased those. And they took up a tremendous amount of space on your hard drive. But the novelty of it and the, and the coolness of it just were hard to top. Having an entire uh, collection of music in your pocket, it was just 
perfect timing for me uh, heading back to college the second time around. But I wonder what would have happened if that had been around since I was in high school. Chances are I would have still found a way to, to throw all that money away. Um, formats change, uh, you know, uh, I went hard into digital books when the Nook came out. Uh, I was immediately smitten with the idea. I had a Nook. I loved my Nook. I had tons of access uh, to tons of books that I felt like I needed to own digitally. I had a nice little digital library, and um, and it's gone. Uh, my Nook died. I um, I never purchased another one. Now I own the Kindle. Um, I can download the Barnes and Noble app, I think, to access those books still. But uh, it wouldn't be the same. Um, it wouldn't be the same trying to read those on my phone. <laughs> so, you know, I enjoy my Kindle. I, I try to buy things on there that I want to read or, or want to have access to or, or, or make sense volume-wise to, uh, to have digitally. But that, too, will go away. Amazon will run its course and something new will come along. So there's two sides of that coin. There's ownership, which is a final destination for these products. As we see on shows like American Pickers, I mean, the person who stuffs that in the shed the longest, you know, becomes its owner. And that stuff doesn't go away. It doesn't get rewritten. It doesn't get overwritten. It doesn't get uh, the service for it. It doesn't get uh, turned off and it go away. It's yours until rust or moth destroy, you know. Uh, but the other side of the coin is is uh, also uh, ownership of material goods is uh, is a liability, and that's part of the reason I've had such a crisis of character over the last handful of years is is that stuff in my house with children and floods and uh, money demands and space demands and uh, all those things. Uh, it starts to become a liability. And my attitude as of late has been I don't want to be liable to maintain, to organize, to store, to worry about those sorts of items in my home. And while I sometimes miss the things that I offload, I just as often regret things that I bought. There's very few times that I've bought things multiple times because I've gone through these cycles of purchase and, 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 uh, and purging. So physical ownership has its ups and downs, and so does digital. And I just don't know where we're going to quite land as a society. But I do wonder what I would have been like had that been a viable option and not a novelty when I started exercising spending my own money. There's some interesting things uh, that happen, uh, and I've talked about some of these before. You know, uh, Frank Zappa famously, as uh, new technologies were being introduced, like the, the CD and all that, um, he would redo audio and re-release these albums, and they'd be tweaked. And he'd redo some drum sessions or add a little bit of a guitar solo. Or he'd remove like a little bit of some keyboard work he wasn't real uh, fond of. 
and the albums changed over time and as I started getting into Frank Zappa I realized that people not only were obsessive completists uh, for collector's sake but because the music was quite different the lengths of the tracks were different the, the, the studio uh, components were different that piece of art that was released into the wild didn't stay static and like a, a lot of ways Frank Zappa was sort of ahead of the game because if you fast forward today to movies famously Star Wars the original three and um, and uh, in video games that they almost become a service rather than a product that can be altered and updated there were some eyebrows raised when um, E.T. was re-released to the theaters on its anniversary and they digitally removed all the shotguns and things from the hands of the policemen and and then digitally added uh, walkie-talkie, something you probably wouldn't really notice, but people were concerned that we were altering these arts. What we were giving was, uh, was an approximation. Star Wars was the biggest uh, offender, partly because of the money and the technology and the audacity that George Lucas uh, possesses, but altered the movies to fit his new visions by changing actors or updating uh, special effects in an attempt to make them more timeless or to add scenes that he wanted to have that were never quite completed and he wasn't satisfied with. And just add a bunch of this hokum uh, that I'm not sure why they did it other than just marketing, but those movies became a service. And you'll see fans who pay quite a bit for bootlegs of the original releases. And that started as far back as around the time of Empire Strikes Back when they went back and renumbered the original movie, Part 4, which was not a part of the original plan. Today you have things like uh, a game that I'm very fond of, um, uh, Infinity Blade which is an app for the iOS developed with the stu same studio that uh, that's responsible for Fortnite recently uh, at the end of last year they pulled all three episodes of that game off of the iTunes store because they were no longer going to devote uh, resources into keeping them up to date to make sure that they run well with the new iOS editions and phones and technology. Uh, it was just a product that had run its course and they, and they wanted to step away from it. You can no longer purchase or download those unless you already have. And for now, you can get into your account on iTunes and still download those apps if you've purchased them in the past, but there's no guarantee that they'll function well. And some of the features just simply don't work. My son liked the Spider-Man game that he really enjoyed. And the same thing, it just quit being supported and they shut it down. I've seen it time and time again with things like uh, the game Destiny, which when it launched had several different uh, currency systems in-game that they eventually consolidated. And the leveling system was quite different. And... Um, you know, the small tweaks here and there until you have some major overhauls. And the game that you have on your hard drive is no longer the same one that you purchased. And you cannot retrospectively go back 
and experience that original deal. Warcraft, uh, World of Warcraft has recently have Warcraft Classic where you can experience the game as it was at launch even after all the changes that have happened incrementally. But it isn't truly the same. Other MMOs that you subscribe to uh, are launched and may die on the vine and um, and just aren't supported in the same way or just disappear altogether. I've played numerous MMOs over the years and uh, some of them just simply aren't around anymore. So this digital landscape is really interesting. Video games as a whole are are sort of uh, leading the way for... for uh, how we accept entertainment in a lot of ways. Obviously, people are more likely to stick their face into front of a TV set than they are a video game. Um, while those gaps are closing, it's still true. We, we have generations that just never have quite latched on to video games, and we have populations within current generations that just never quite you know took a shine to video games. So something like Netflix becomes the premier technological product. But we're starting to see video games push that envelope a little bit with some uh, streaming services. And some of the features that they offer. So the near future is going to be sort of interesting. And what I'd like to talk about on this particular episode is uh, not only some of those things that are coming around the corner... But what they mean for us nerds, do they mean that we're finally going to break the cycle of this weird collector's culture? Where physical ownership uh, is no longer going to be something that we truly um, that we truly cherish and revere? Spoiler alert, I don't think that's going to be the case. Um, as you can see, if you go to Target and buy uh, physical copies of Stranger Things or Lost in Space, things that were streaming-only releases for Netflix. You can buy physical copies of those now. And I know people who have bought them, even though they do subscribe to the service, so it's sort of interesting. (coughs) But there again, they may go away. I doubt it will happen, but Netflix, for one reason or another, could just say... Stranger Things is no longer accessible. And something that had a significant cultural impact would just simply not be there. Because there isn't something physical to hang on to. So I sort of want to explore what that means for us. Does it mean we find new ways to waste money? Do we start to get better with our money? Are we being bled dry at a faster rate uh, unknowingly with all these subscriptions and this constant push to stay plugged in lest we do lose contact with the things we love? Sort of an interesting uh, thought experiment that I've had lately. (coughs) Excuse me. And I'd like to cover it with you. On the other side of this break, uh, we'll talk a little bit about a service that Google's getting ready to launch and how it claims to be tackling this new era of video gaming and the pros and cons that come with it. But if you have any ideas of, uh, or, or even anecdotes of, of what it's meant for you to switch into the digital age on something, 
I'd love to hear it. You can reach me on Twitter at CarlSmithWriter or shoot me an email, CarlSmithWriter at gmail.com. And let me know, have you switched from physical to digital? Have you adopted more digital? Are you still resistant of digital? Have you always been digital? (coughs) Why or why not? Let me know and we'll have a little discussion about that on a future episode. I remember a time when um, VCRs were a big deal. That was pretty life-changing uh, for those of you who aren't old enough to remember, uh, not every home had a VCR. Um, the whole idea of being able to watch what you wanted to, when you wanted to, um, or even to be able to record something and watch it at your leisure, it, it was crazy. It was it was it was life changing technology. And uh, I remember shortly after my family finally had a VCR. My dad splurged and bought one for us, and we made tremendous use out of it. I mean, that thing should not have even been functional towards the end of its days. Um, uh, we abused that thing. Um, but um, when when we had it, I remember the heydays of uh, video rental stores, uh, little mom-and-pop stores all over the place um, that... Uh, that had tremendous selections of of just oddball and wonderfully weird uh, videos. I mean, they would just put whatever they had up on the shelf, whatever they get a hold of. And uh, for a lot of us, that was our introduction to um, to a lot of of movies and uh, aesthetics that we would carry with us throughout our lives and into our creative projects. Um, a friend of mine once rented a video and brought it over and was excited to show it to me. And um, what it was, was at the time, this comedy group I'd never heard of called Penn and & Teller. And um, the video was designed in such a way, uh, not so much just to show their stage show, but to show an audiovisual trick that you could then in turn... Um, play on your friends using that uh using that uh, VHS tape. And so there'd be a segment um that uh would show uh, the guys doing the trick and explaining the trick and how to set it up and then there would be some dead space for you to cue the tape up. And then once you had your timing right and had practiced the routine, you in theory could do the same trick in your own home and amuse your friends and family and some of them were just as uh, simple as card tricks uh, where um, you would uh, wow them by choosing their card and it would show up on the screen others were uh, where you could uh, squirt Windex on a paper towel and wipe the TV screen and actually wipe the image off the screen uh, and there was a little bit of a magic illusion trick with it because of the pre-recorded effects. It was pretty clever and I remember not so much being amused by Penn and Teller as I was by the fact that they had found a way to sort of hack the format of VHS. This was something new. This is a new type of entertainment that while it it was still on a VHS tape and was still entertaining us in our homes. It was this new thing. This it wasn't passive anymore. It, it involved you. It had this extra function, and I found that very interesting. 
Now, people have been, uh, since the beginning of time, whenever a new media comes out, finding a way to, to utilize it in strange and different ways. Um, the problem is, is our, our gut tells us that maybe they're onto something. Maybe they've pioneered something. And the, the truth is, is that a lot of times those new and exciting uses for media just never pan out. If you think about the glory days of VHS uh, being packaged into um, board games and trying to integrate video into things like uh, Dungeons & Dragons uh, board-type games or, um, you know, if you watched Community, there was a funny episode where uh, one of the guys was obsessed with this early 90s uh, board game uh, that had to do with gunslingers, and the rules were ridiculously complex and it relied heavily on being able to cue the video up at the right time and so on. Um, it just never quite catches on when they find these innovations. Very rarely do we see the revolution coming. Usually it just kind of happens gradually and uh, and it, it becomes like the sum of a lot of little things that um, were interesting or highly uh, appraised or, or critically acclaimed but just never quite had their own momentum. But it's sort of fun to see, after you've seen a few of those innovations, if you can identify further innovations throughout your life that may or may not change the landscape of the media. One of those things recently for me um, was this whole idea of, of cloud uh, gaming. Uh, cloud computing is interesting in general, and I don't really know enough about computer science to speak too intelligently about it. But the idea is is that uh, no longer would your computer at home that you've purchased to have in your home uh, have any real bearing on the programs that you run um, as far as resolution and how many cycles you have available. Uh, the RAM you have available, the processing power, those sorts of things wouldn't be up to you to supply anymore. You would just have to have a functional enough computer to handle access to whatever networks look like at that current time. And then in some warehouse somewhere, some Google server farm, they have these massive processing monsters that will handle the processing duties and as we get better at high-speed internet, are able to both receive and send data fast enough that they would just stream the results to your computer screen. So if you can imagine having a, a, a television screen or, or, or think of like an Amazon Kindle that costs 50 bucks and how you're able to watch movies on that, um, that little machine isn't actually rendering all of that stuff in real time. It's just streaming to your tablet. If you're watching Game of Thrones through HBO Now on your cell phone or on your tablet PC, um, it's not storing the bulk of the information uh for that file, for that high-definition video on your hard drive. It would take up a lot of space. It would take forever to transfer. We've been there before with media and the Internet, downloading a full chunk to experience it and then having to delete it when you need space. 
but instead it streams it. It stores the information for you off-site and is able to just play the video and send you the image, more or less, on whatever device you're running. Cloud gaming works a lot that same way. So I'll be able to buy a cheap... Um, a cheap processor of some sort, be it a platform, a gaming platform like a PlayStation or a laptop computer. And the idea is, is that the library of games and the processing power needed to run those games will happen off-site. They'll, hop they'll happen somewhere else on a network that the uh, digital rights management team uh, manages and, and controls. And then um, you will pay uh, for the right to access their uh, processor. And uh, you will pick a game experience. So uh, I will fire up Parappa the Rapper. And uh, it will play on my computer even though I don't own the disc. Even though I have not downloaded the, the entire game to my, my, uh, my computer, my platform. And I will have a controller. And my controller's inputs will be translated from my processor to data that can be sent up to the cloud. Those inputs will be read off-site at their computer, affect the game, and then it will stream the results back to my television. So in effect, I will be playing the game the same as if I slapped that cartridge into the top of my Sega, but it would be with a much more developed and complex game. And I'd be able to do that from the comfort of my own home by only owning a, a minimal processing unit and a control device and having access to, you know, uh, the fastest uh, network that I can afford uh, as far as Internet access. So it's sort of interesting concept because it does this thing that seems counterintuitive to the pessimistic view of what we have for the gaming um, industry, which is they're going to plan obsolescence by continually offering the next generation of machines that run harder, run faster, are able to do more. I would argue that we're starting to get to the land of diminishing returns. The games look amazing right now, but I feel like uh, we've gone through a couple of generations of games here where the bulk of games that came out were so concerned with looking good and sounding good that uh, they sort of forgot to make games <laughs> that were playable and memorable. And this is never more obvious than when you sit down with uh, like a home arcade machine like the one that I've built and play the ROMs from the old arcade games. Those games are still fun. You can still play Ms. Pac-Man. You can still play Popeye, Super Mario Brothers. Those games are enduringly fun uh, because they were designed as games and not showcases for, for technology. And so, um, and so there isn't really a lot of AAA games in this modern age of gaming that I would argue are burger time level. Fortnite caught on. Um, Overwatch definitely is fun. World of Warcraft. You know, Halo had its day. Red Dead Redemption certainly had a big cult following. So there are games out there, I think, that have uh, that scratched the right itches and so on. 
but uh, overall, there's just a lot of these super pretty games that kind of play similar similarly. I think of game franchises like uh, Resident Evil that they continue to remake and update and uh, add sequels to. And they try to innovate a little bit as far as the storytelling goes. But there was a time there when Resident Evil was just putting out basically shovelware. Just more of the same. And while people enjoyed those games... Um, if you go back and play them now, they can be a little painful to control, a little painful, uh, painful on the eyes. Uh, and the game itself, the story was fun, but the gameplay was something you had to almost overcome to enjoy the experience. Famously, Resident Evil, the first game, had those weird tank commands because they had to work with what they had as far as uh, processing speed and uh, inputs. So we kind of expect the gaming industry to keep pushing forward with technology and just making things more realistic, um, more uh, more detailed. Um, and uh, along with that comes the need to continually buy new systems that can process and run. Nintendo's did an interesting thing um, where they've kind of pumped the brakes a little bit and they get criticized about uh, for it quite a bit. To where they're trying to innovate gaming and not so much uh, processing. And some of the big developers have kind of scoffed saying like, we're going to put out this gorgeous um, title that we need to make sure that it has a processor that runs it appropriately. People want to see it in 4K. Uh, they want so many frames per second. They want to be able to access all this additional content. Um and Nintendo has said, you know what, we're not going to bow to that request necessarily. We'd be just as content to offer uh, a gaming experience uh, of a particular flavor that we control. And so, to me, Nintendo has always sort of led the charge in let's see what we can do to innovate the gaming experience. And if that means not having the most visually stunning games of the moment, so be it. And they come out with things like uh, um, Mario Maker, which could have been done theoretically on, you know, anything on a Super Nintendo or, or a PlayStation uh, type uh, processor. Um, Mario Maker is a blast. Um, and, uh, you know, these, these Yoshi games they've put out where they're in these worlds that look like they were put together in a craft class uh, with cotton and buttons and yarn. And so I think they were the first ones to sort of, as a corporation, say, like, we'll sell you more hardware, but it's going to be um, because the experience we're offering requires that hardware, not because we're just going to continually increase processor speed and RAM and so on. So when you get to cloud gaming... It's sort of counterintuitive. It's sort of saying, like, look, we're done making you chase hardware. We're going to offer you a way to game, to have an access to a library of games that can run the way they're intended to run 
without scaring you off because your video card is outdated or you have uh, you bought an affordable computer rather than one that can handle uh, the cutting-edge software. And we'll allow you to access those games and have that experience regardless of the system you have at home. It sounds like pie-in-the-sky philosophy, and it sounds like the ideal situation. Uh, a lot of times they throw around the terminology, you know, the Netflix of video games. PlayStation has a, a service um, that you can subscribe to, and uh, the network is notoriously wonky. Uh, I've read some reviews online, especially recently as I've been looking into cloud gaming, and um, they were sort of the first to have a real developed uh, network that you could access um, through a home um, platform. And it's interesting, but some people really like it. It seems like it requires a very stable, very fast uh, access to the Internet. Um, so like the high-end package of your fiber optic Internet access. But it sort of works, and it sort of is a proof of concept for, you know, what the future of gaming may look like. Here recently, there was a giant Kickstarter. It raised millions of dollars. And the idea was is that they were going to develop a gaming system that you could play on your television that would take up almost no space, require no updating, and would be completely, um, I don't know what the word would be, but uh, open to the idea of, of homebrew and home development. And the idea was they were going to create a thing where you could play professional games as well as uh, homebrew. It would, and it would be a revolutionary new system because you'd be able to get distribution and, uh, and none of it would require, you know... Uh, a lot of development equipment or or gaming equipment. It was called the Wia or Ua. I can't remember how they pronounce it. O U Y A. And uh, to their credit, the Kickstarter was finalized. They did create it. There was a lot of buzz about it. It came with a PlayStation style controller and a little box the size of something that you would you know have an engagement ring in, and uh, it would plug into your TV through an HDMI cable. And uh, it would run these games uh, sort of in a in an Android type format. The problem was is that it didn't have any support really. Um, the games it offered weren't quite what the industry was was uh, selling. The market didn't demand at the time. I think when it first launched, you know, one of the big draws was is that Square Enix was going to, you know, port Final Fantasy 1 over to it or something like that. And so basically what you had is like a glorified, um, you know, iPhone 3 era, um, you know, cell phone plugged into your TV that had access to um, an app store. And I forget which uh, which Android uh, version ran on it. I can't remember if it was like Butterscotch or which one it was. I lose track of those things. But it didn't quite pan out. But the idea was getting out there that we don't need to be tied to these increasingly expensive and elaborate gaming platforms anymore. 
Sony's big thing is Sony wants to have the PlayStation be just like the VHS player was in the 80s. They want people just to assume that they're going to have a PlayStation and that their media, their entertainment, um, their interactions with, with digital entertainment of different sorts would process through their PlayStation. And they've been trying to do different things to make sure that they have a unique and a ubiquitous uh, presence uh, whether it's the way their televisions talk to different cell phones and to their, uh, their Sony equipment, um, such as the PlayStation, uh, and how they integrate together um, to the movie services they offer, um, even digital streaming uh, as a competitor to cable TV they've gotten into. They just want to be another facet of your furniture, but uh, we had this idea here recently that maybe we don't need that. Maybe maybe just having one universal access to the internet is enough. And that's where this cloud gaming comes in. Now, lots of people have goofed around with it. And um, it's always interesting because these things will pop up uh, and have some promise. But they just never quite launch you know there's always like some technology we're just not there yet or we don't have high enough speed internet in enough homes but that's where google comes in google at the end of this year is launching their new service called stadia and it's a cloud gaming service and it has the weight of google behind it Google is offering for like ten dollars a month and they actually have a free membership level um, access to their cloud gaming service. The idea is, is if you have a computer of any sort that can play or, or excuse me, that can process and run uh, Google Chrome, their browser, then you'll be able to access Stadia. Now, you won't be able necessarily to get 4K imaging, um, there are some stair steps of, of quality of video that playback that happens based on your access. But for the speeds that <laughs> excuse me, for the speeds that most of us have in our home, we will be able to experience high definition gaming on our computers regardless of what we own. I could buy a $130 Chromebook and have a gaming laptop through the Google Stadia service. And it's truly incredible. It's tough to imagine a world where that is the case because my entire life I've always needed additional hardware that I couldn't afford to be current on gaming. You know, it's just like when um, I didn't have a video game system at all and I thought how incredible it would be just to have an Atari at home. And then when we had a Nintendo Entertainment System, as much fun as we had with it, you know, I, I was jealous of the kids that had the SNES. And then computer. We never had a home computer until really late in the game, and it was an older one. And I always wanted a computer that could run things like um, uh, Rainbow Six or, you know, uh, as the games went on, you know, Quake or... Unreal uh, tournament and um, 
or is it Unreal Tournament or just Unreal? I can't remember. Those were always things that were like a step ahead of us. And, you know, and there's games that fi famously come out that are so demanding on systems that there's just not very many people playing them because they demand too much from your hardware. Like the game Crisis was, uh, was one of those. I played a lot of MMOs in my day. And almost always I had to play them with the lowest resolution settings possible just so that they would run. Um, I had a laptop that was issued to me by Creighton University when I was in pharmacy school that I played World of Warcraft on. And I could get that thing so hot that I couldn't touch it because it was working so hard to process. And it would heat up and I could access and my poor Torin would be running across the plains and I could only see like every third or fourth animation of his steps. And it had nothing to do with the network speed. It had everything to do with my processor just not being able to handle. It's amazing that I had a hard drive that even was able to handle the size of the files uh, for World of Warcraft to start with. But under this new Google Stadia, I will be able to play those sorts of games if they offer them through their storefront from any computer that can access Google Chrome. The service launches, I think, in November. Um, you can pre-order uh, a Founders Kit that gets you access this year. If you're not a founder, if you're going to wait for the free option or, or if you want to wait and see if it falls apart, uh, before you get involved with it, you have to wait until the year 2020. So this is sort of like a, a beta test that you buy into as a founder. The one free game that they've announced that you have access to, and I'll get to that here in a second, but the one free game that they're launching with as being a founder is Destiny 2, which I love Destiny, and you guys might know that it, uh, when Destiny 2 launched, it... It took over my world. <laughs> and, but uh, but the problem with Destiny was it, I, it got old fast for me. Um, you hit a level where you get to, like a lot of uh, MMOs, where you progress so far that it becomes such an unsufferable grind or you have to have a, a lot of time and a lot of skill and you have to be friends with people with that same level of time and skill because then you get involved with these raids that have like low return and the raids kind of cease to be fun because you're no longer just doing the run and gun thing. There's very specific moments where you have to do certain things. It's all very orchestrated and it's not very fun. And so I got to that point with Destiny 2. They had some more content that was going to release uh, as far as expansions, but I was done with it by then and it moved on. But they're retrospectively updating it so you have cross-platform shareability of your, of your character. You wouldn't have to start from scratch. And so if that's the case, if I can still salvage my character uh, from my PlayStation, it'll be fun because I'll be able to hop in, do some death matches, do a little exploring. Destiny 2 is perhaps the most drop-in and play and, and drop-out uh, game of its genre I believe that they've ever developed for better or for worse 
But if you like the grind, I mean, you just hop in and play and hop out, and it's it's pretty fun. You get your fix of science fiction shooter. So it's a strong title to start with, but admittedly a title that's two years old. A lot of games are announced uh, to be on the list that will be available through Stadia, and one of them is Borderlands 3, which is launching, I believe, this October or September on platforms. So by the time it launches on Stadia, it's going to be a little older, a little stale, but not much, a couple months. And if we know anything about the Borderlands series, is they tend to hold up pretty well as far as the fun they offer and the experience. Um, and so I'm excited about that. Matter of fact, I'm so excited that I've decided that maybe I won't pre-order it for PlayStation. I'll hold off. Because another facet of Stadia is it's not the Netflix of games that people have been calling it. But Google Stadia is a lot like Steam. You'll have to purchase the games that you want to play. Now, they haven't announced uh, any other free games or how being a paid member at the higher tier... Uh, they said there's certain discounts and privileges that come along with it. They haven't been entirely clear on that. So we don't know if there's other games that will be free to access. Uh, sort of like if you're a PS Plus member and you get access to two games every month for free if you download them. So we don't know all the particulars regarding that. But if a new title comes out, you can bet you're going to have to pay full price for it. So that's turned some people off, but... I think those are people who are turned off because they otherwise have options. For certain people out there, you just don't have the option to own a gaming computer. If your complaint is, I already have a PS4 and an X-Bone, and uh, if I want to play those games, I'll just you know buy them for one of those systems, then you know Google Stadia maybe isn't the best platform for you anyway. But for those of us who can't really afford to stay current with gaming or who maybe don't get new machines every generation because of the cost incurred with them, and especially for those of us who like computer gaming but just can never justify buying a computer either for money or space reasons that, uh, that is dedicated just to cutting-edge gaming, this is the service for us. And so, of course, I'll pay for that software as long as it isn't exorbitantly priced. You're going to pay 60 bucks for a AAA title. I assume Borderlands 3 is going to cost me 50 to 60 bucks, no matter which platform I buy it for. I may as well buy it for Stadia. The advantage of Stadia is, again, your save states, your access, all of that belongs to the cloud. So you can access it from different computers in different settings just by having your username and password. So if you're stuck at grandma's house on Thanksgiving and your mom doesn't let you bring a whole bag full of stuff with you to keep yourself entertained, but grandpa has a little computer in the back room that he uses to check email, as long as it can run Google Chrome, you could access and get your little fix of whatever game is being played on that at the moment with your friends. If you're out of town and you take your laptop with you on the road, you can hook into the hotel internet and play a little video games. It's, it, it's a wonderful uh, 
portability that we haven't really had before. And it's pretty interesting. Some other things they're selling along with Stadia is uh, the idea that it's integrated with streaming. Uh, and by that, I mean for those people who get on and watch like Twitch or uh, on YouTube and they live stream their playthroughs of a game. It's integrated to do that from its own platform. More so, if you're a member of Stadia and you're watching a Stadia streamer, if he's on a particular level or a boss fight and you want to try your hand at that exact same fight, his save state at any given moment in that stream can be accessed and played because the processors at Google will duplicate that experience and you can just jump in and play. So you can get to an end boss with all the big equipment that's been farmed and, and developed and found through raids. And if you want to fight that final boss, you can do it. You just fire it up as long as you have access to their system, to their game. Which is really remarkable. And I think it's going to open up some different ways that we experience games and uh, the, what our expectations will be with these sorts of games. I hope that it works. Not only because I went ahead and paid to become a founder, but because I think it's moving gaming towards something that more people can be included in. To be a founder, it costs about 160 bucks. It's a little steep, I think, especially for someone who struggles with uh, even justifying buying a single game at, at 50 bucks. But um, to me, it was a donation to them as a vote of confidence that I want this thing to to be developed and I want it to succeed. Google is notorious for developing technology and then abandoning it the minute that they don't feel like it's doing what they want. And I worry about that with Stadia. I worry about them not making this, uh, you know, uh, something that they stick to if it isn't adopted to the levels that they're happy with. They're, they're just known for that. They're cutthroat with their development of technology, which is why they're cutting edge. But for a user, it's concerning because you don't know how much you want to de uh, devote resource-wise into this new world if the rug might just be pulled out prematurely. But for the $160, I think you get six months of access, if I'm not mistaken. It's three or six months of access to their um, premium service, which I think is like $10 a month. So there's 60 bucks. Then you get a really neat controller. Um, they have a specific controller they prefer. The controller actually hooks up directly to your network. And so it skips a step of needing to communicate with your computer and then to your network. So it helps minimize latency that extra step. It sends its commands directly over your network uh, wirelessly through to uh, their servers. And it offers in a 
special color that's only available uh, for founders. Um, it's a midnight blue color. It's really cool. Your other choices are like black if you buy uh, extra controllers or um, one that they call wasabi that's sort of a cream color with like these wasabi green highlights. And that one is an incredible looking controller. I wish it was the exclusive because I would kind of want it, but I'm not buying a second controller just yet uh, just because. Uh, the controllers run 60 bucks. So from that 160, you have six months of membership and then $60 controller. So that's $120 out of the 160 that leaves $40 remaining. Along with your membership, you get uh, their version of their Fire Stick. I can't remember what it's called, but it's a, the Google, uh, the Google um, Roku, for lack of a better uh, term, that you stick into your television and can cast Chromecast. Maybe that's what it's called. You can cast your, your, your gaming and everything onto your television. And through that little unit, you don't even need to have um, you don't even need to have a computer. You can just plug that into your television. Again, it's a little gadget, you know, the size of a deck of cards or smaller. I think it's much smaller than a deck of cards that plugs into your computer or to your television and basically makes your television uh, a gaming computer along with your uh, your controller. And so those things run, you know, who knows how much, 50 bucks. Let's say it's 40. And that makes the even $160 uh, for uh, what you've paid for. So really, you haven't paid a premium of any sort. You've purchased a package of hardware and uh, six months of... Uh, of access that you are going to theoretically pay for anyway. And then um, you also get a special code uh, that allows you to give it to a friend of yours to experience it with you. Um, of course, they won't have a controller, uh, but the controller isn't a deal breaker. You can use your uh, PC controllers, PlayStation controllers, Xbox controllers through the Bluetooth of your computer um, Again, and you can play with what you have at home for equipment already or what you're comfortable with. The only issue is there is it doesn't communicate directly to the network, so you do incur that slight little additional lag, which time will tell if that matters or not. And then along with those buddy codes uh, for the six months or whatever it is, you also earn the right to reserve your username and uh, it's kind of first come, first serve, but um, but once you claim it, it's it's officially yours, and there's some status with being a founder member, you know. And so it's sort of a neat package deal. Again, it's something that I did because I believe in the technology, and I'm hopeful that the industry as a whole go this way. Ten years from now, do I think that Google Stadia is going to be the premier uh, gaming access, that it becomes the new PlayStation, where instead of new generations of uh of uh, gaming hardware come out that people are developing directly for cloud gaming. Uh, it doesn't seem unlikely that Google could pull that off. 
But if we've seen anything in, in the past, is that whoever is to the market first, there's going to be competitors, and sometimes those competitors find a way to reinvent the wheel uh, to make it a little more marketable, a little more uh, user-friendly, and, um, and they go from there. The only real improvement, uh, if, the, if the hardware and software all work the way that they say that it should all things being equal, um, the only thing that you could really improve on immediately is either by lowering the cost further, which is ludicrous, because 10 bucks a month seems awfully cheap. Uh, I'm happy to pay 10 bucks a month. Um, or to uh, bundle in other services. So if television, Netflix, you know, access to things like Marvel Unlimited, if those things start coming along with it, you know, that would improve uh, a potential rival service. Or upgrading to an actual uh, Netflix of games where there's a back catalog that's available. Maybe there's some AAA titles that are there for a short period of time, uh, you know, that you don't have to purchase. So maybe, you know, uh, a game like Borderlands 3 will come out and you're able to access it maybe a month after it's released, two months after it's released. Maybe you can play it for a spell and then um, it goes away for a while. Um those sorts of things are feasible upgrades I could see a competitor trying to offer on top of the same uh, uh, the same uh, skeleton of service. But I'm hopeful for it. I hope it's great. I'm excited to try it out. Uh, even if Destiny 2 and Borderlands are the only games I ever bother to play on there, um, I don't have a ton of gaming time as it is. And I'm not going to get more gaming time uh, just because cloud computing becomes a thing. But it would be wonderful to be able uh, to just kind of pick up and play when I'm able to. Uh, there are times when I do have a little free time that I could kill playing games, but I don't have access to my PlayStation. It's in a room where the television's being used or, you know, it's going to be too noisy for my sleeping family. But if it's something that I can just pull my laptop into another room and slap some headphones on, it may be a different deal. Um, my hope is that they'll put No Man's Sky. I would even purchase No Man's Sky again, I think, if they put it on that service. Uh, no Man's Sky is probably one of the more interesting video game experiences I've had my entire life for multiple reasons, not just because it sort of does everything that I've ever wanted to do in a video game, but the story of how it was developed, how it uh, disappointed and misled at the beginning, and how they sort of redeemed themselves through these expansions and just haven't given up on the community has been an incredible story. And I think that uh, it'll be a book that, when it's written, will be very inspirational to uh, software developers in the future. So I hope they add that to there. That's something I can pick up and play, much like Minecraft. You know, uh, I can still sit down, and if I start playing Minecraft from scratch, I always start from scratch with those games. Uh, I don't keep a persistent. If I put it down for more than a couple weeks, I, I start from scratch. And, um, you know, it's fun. And I wouldn't mind an MMO on there. I really enjoyed... Uh, I, recently I did, discovered that uh, Neverwinter and Star Trek MMO were both uh, available on PlayStation. I played around with them. They were a hoot. The problem being that, um, you know, Star Trek was a little wonky. Um, I never really fully got used to the control scheme 
uh, and it just, uh, as fun as it was, it just wasn't as fulfilling as I wanted an MMO to be. However, Neverwinter is exactly what I wanted from an MMO experience. So if they add an MMO to, uh, to the Stadia service, especially like Warcraft, like, you know, World of Warcraft, I was there in its heyday and I loved it. I just absolutely loved it. And I'm, really wish uh, I could relive some of those experiences again. I would definitely play uh, World of Warcraft or Guild Wars 2 or, um, or uh, you know, uh, EVE Online, something like that. I would love to experience again if I didn't have to keep a computer up to date to do so. One last comment I'll make about Google Stadia, and this would be a criticism that I didn't really think of on my own until I read some of the hater articles. And there's plenty of hater articles out there that want to see Google fail at this for one reason or another, but that's the system that we live in now. But uh, one of the biggest complaints and one of the biggest criticisms is the amount of bandwidth that it will take. And this is something that I forget about, that I forget that we have limits on our data access. We at home game and stream, and I don't think that we ever quite tickle uh, our limit of what our particular tier of uh, internet um, requires. But I am aware that there is a limit, and I'm aware that if you go past that limit that you're either cut off entirely or you're charged these exorbitant uh, overcharges uh, for for going beyond your limit from your cable company. Um this reminds me of the days when you had a text limit or minute limit on your uh, cell phones that we've all forgotten about, um, but used to be a financial stress for people because they wouldn't pay attention and mom and dad would get these bills and um, would just come unglued. And, um, and we're looking at a situation where that could happen again. The experts say that if you game 20 hours a week, which is a lot of gaming, but... Uh, People who are gamers, I think uh, that wouldn't be unreal. But if they if they game twenty hours a week, they'll hit their terabyte um, bandwidth limit, that which is most high speed internet's limit. They'll meet it in the month's time before the month is over, and that's not including doing anything else, uh, checking email, streaming movies any of that other stuff. And so uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that's handled. If this is something that's adopted on a wider scale, I would say that uh, there's room for places like Cox and Quest and uh, all those places that offer internet service, um, CenturyLink, that they'll have to come up with a package that offers a true unlimited or you know something for streaming gamers. So right now, that's the most exorbitant and worrisome part of all this is that you trade off not having to have a machine that's self-contained and can process this stuff, but it takes an awful lot of data to transmit back and forth. And uh, when you're continually hooked up to it, you know, if you plug in your Raspberry Pi uh, arcade uh, to your TV to play some Ghosts and Goblins, you know, it takes zero bandwidth. It's all processed there on that little, uh, you know, microchip and sent to your television. It requires nothing. But if you're playing that same game 
over Google Stadia, that's all data that has to be sent and received. And that's a service that someone else has to provide to you and that you have to pay for. And so that's a potential road bump. A potential road bump. It's going to be interesting to see how they adopt this and how it changes things. I think that this is one of those things that will be a huge stepping stone in the future for how we present, distribute, and how we engage in digital media. With iTunes uh, going away here, uh, the announce, uh, announcement came not too long ago that uh, Apple is sort of backing away from their iTunes um, format, uh, something I wasted a tremendous amount of time and money with we're starting to see digital media enter like another generation and so we've sort of entered this new frontier we're switching from record and cassette to CDs in the digital gaming world we've we've sort of leveled up we've come a very far away in our lifetimes with digital entertainment from Pong and Pong clones to what we have today. And it's very interesting. And I think this Google Stadia service and uh, cloud gaming will be something worth looking into for most of us. Well, that should about do it for this episode. I'm glad you stuck with me. It's been a, it's been a minute. <laughs> since the last uh, episode dropped. Summer is crazy. Uh, kids had camp the last couple of weeks, and uh, now that they're home, I don't have my normal routine. So I appreciate your patience. But if you're like me, you're probably busy as well. So, you know, getting two or three uh, good kickers a week probably wasn't going to be the best uh, distribution model anyway. I'm excited for cloud gaming. I, you know, this winter's going to come around. It might be a high point to look forward to, and we all need a little something to look forward to. Um, things don't always seem to pan out. I remember when I uh, plunked down all the money uh, to reserve my Sony PSP and all the promises and um, insinuations that Sony had made based on that machine and how incredible and how in love I was with it at the beginning, but how it just never quite lived up to what I wanted it to be. And uh, the other things that have come out that have kind of uh, kept captivated my um, interest up until they launch and then um, just don't seem to pay off. I'm not so foolish to think that Google's going to break that trend, but it's nice to have something to look forward to, to be a little excited about. To, to lay in bed at night and wonder, I wonder what it's going to be like and how wonderful it's going to be for me to just hop on and, and play these games uh, on any computer, be it my son's uh, Google Chrome or, you know, my working laptop or, or, you know, whatever it is that we're using to access it, my television for Pete's sake. That's incredible. Those of you who are out there know that sometimes I tinker with electronics and, um, you know, I've built a couple, two, three arcade machines now. Actually, I think it's five. <laughs> I've built five arcade machines, the, the biggest one being a, a bar top model that uh, is decorated with Bigfoot Jones graphics on it. And it's incredible. If you haven't seen it, I'll post pictures again here pretty soon on Twitter because uh, 
I'm very proud of it. Uh, Jeff Moore did, uh, Jeff, excuse me, Jeff Munn did the um, the artwork for me, and uh, he's the one that usually does my Bigfoot Jones illustrations, and it's it's wonderful, and it's like my treasure, and it escaped the floods. It didn't get ruined by the floods. That entire thing is uh, ran by a tiny little uh, Raspberry Pi 3 computer, and um, those are super fun uh, toys to tinker with. Um, it's amazing what it can do. Uh, Raspberry 4 just came out, uh, Raspberry Pi 4, which uh, expanded the processor and really bumped up the RAM options. And so I would be interested to see if I'll be able to just swap out uh, swap out the, the processing uh, processor, I should say, uh, and keep the same memory card and be able to run some of the games that were struggling on that little computer. The Raspberry 3 is sort of notorious for um, uh, being good enough to browse the internet, but it doesn't really do like Netflix. Uh, Google Chrome's kind of wonky on it. Um, but if the new one has enough power, which it should, to run Google Chrome and Netflix or, uh, you know, process some of these uh, emulators that. Uh, that we use for for the gaming systems we build it's going to be interesting because in theory i could build a gaming computer out of a 40 dollar computer a raspberry pi 4 run you like 40 50 bucks depending if you have uh you know the ac adapter already um but you know you you get this little computer you put it in a shell and and there you go and uh, the possibilities are endless of what you can do with it. And if gaming, can, uh, excuse me, if cloud gaming catches on, these little computers, you know, they have tremendous upside as it is already. It just becomes even more fun to play with. It becomes a thing where I could build a little mini bar top arcade that I could stand up and play online games on. It's, it's bananas to think about. Not only that, I already can build um, a word processor that I can use and write uh, books on uh, without the upgrade. I could have done that with the Raspberry Pi Zero, which is like the size of a, a piece of old school Laffy Taffy. Not the ones they throw into Halloween bags, but like the real ones. And um, it's interesting because, you know, a Snicker bar, let's say Snicker bar. I have to compare everything to something edible. But, uh,. You have the Snicker bar size computer that you can compose uh, and word process on. Uh, I read a funny article a while back talking about how George R. R. Martin um, composes his computer or composes his books when he does them on the computer through a word processor on a computer that still uses floppy disks. It isn't hooked up to the internet. Uh, the advantages are he can't get hacked. Things don't leak. Um, and uh, he's not distracted to pull up uh, Facebook or what have you, whatever George R. R. Martin would be distracted by. Um, that's one of the biggest hurdles I have as a writer is when I sit down, I can't help but like wander over to eBay or a, a thought occurs to me. Um, but I do like having the access so I can get to things like thesauruses or, or Wikipedia if I need to do a quick uh, uh, confirmation that something that I'm writing about um, is accurate enough. 
uh, or if I just need to take a quick break for my eyes and see what's going on in the world of social media. But uh, but you can build a computer that can do all those things now uh, that's portable and uh, affordable. And it, it is just mind-boggling to me uh, as a kid that his entire life was jealous of anyone that owned a home computer to think that for what money I could have earned mowing even back in the 80s, I could build a computer to plug into a television and a keyboard and do all these wonderful things that I once wanted to do. So it's a wonderful time to live if you're a computer nerd or a game nerd, um, if you're interested in technology at all. If, if you're a young kid, you're probably jaded to all this because it's just what you were born with. Just like, uh, you know, we were born with black and white television, and so we didn't think the television was a big miracle. Uh, but people who were born when there was only radios think TVs are pretty swell. So um, it, it's just a wonderful time to be alive. And, and it's fun to think about the possibilities of what's coming around the corner. So if you have anything to add to the discussion regarding cloud gaming or uh, this next generation of digital entertainment, please let me know. You can reach me at Carl Smith Writer on Twitter or carlsmithwriter at gmail.com. And until next time, guys, take it easy.